Welcome to the You Are Loved podcast. My name's Liv Downing. I'm a psychologist and meditation teacher. And my vision for this podcast is to provide all of us with different access points to this sense of coming home, this sense of, of connection and belonging. You Are Loved is the title of my forthcoming children's book, which will be released at some point in the future, hopefully in 2022, but we'll see. And in it, I really explore the possibility that that sense of love and connection is always available to us. And then I offer meditation as a way for us to experience that. I also know that meditation is not necessarily for everybody. So over these series of podcast interviews, I'm wanting to provide different ways for all of us to, to come home, to sense this feeling of being loved, no matter what wonderful life throws at us. So thank you so much for joining me and my beautiful guests. And I look forward to sharing this series with you. Hello, everybody. This episode's a little bit different. I am the interviewee instead of the interviewer. And I ramble on for a good 20-something minutes about building a mindful organization. As you well know, mindfulness is something that's very dear to my heart. So I welcome the opportunity to chat with anybody about this wonderful topic. And so I'm interviewed by the amazing Karen Gately, and she has a podcast called Work Savvy. She is the founder and director of an organization called Corporate Dojo, and she does lots of really interesting stuff in the HR consulting space. So she brings a lot of her own wisdom to our chat, really making mindfulness accessible to the workplace and um, provides lots of practical examples of when uh, people she knows or people she's worked with or even her good self have been practicing unmindfulness or mindlessness and the impact that that can have on um, us as leaders, us as employers, us as employees. So in this chat, we talk about what mindfulness actually is and what a mindful organization might look like. We talk about the importance of attention management for leaders and for their teams. And I also share some tips around formal versus informal practices of mindfulness and how we can really welcome this practice of mindfulness into our everyday moments. Yes, meditation is important and it's transformed my life and my life's work. But it's not the only thing. If meditation is not your thing, you can still bring this capacity for clear seeing attention to all of your moments at work, at home, as you parent with your loved ones. And I guarantee that your life will be much richer for it. I hope you enjoy my chat with the gorgeous Karen and her co-pilot Maddie. And I look forward to hearing your feedback. Welcome to Work Savvy. I'm Karen Gately, the founder of Corporate Dojo. And joining me is my co-host, Madeline Cook. Hello, Hello. Maddie. Hello. So Work Savvy is a brand new podcast housed on our Members Learning Centre. Tune into us fortnightly for a dose of inspiration and insights on leadership and self-mastery. We're going to be talking to leading experts and successful business leaders about being a great leader of people, as well as thriving at work and in life. So all of our guests are people who have learned powerful lessons through experience and they're going to be sharing their wisdom through inspiring stories that they tell. So on our very first episode, we're going to be unpacking how you build a mindful organisation. And we're very excited to have our first guest, 
um, Liv Downing. So Liv is the founder of Live Mindfully and was our regular psychologist on our Black Belt Leader show. Liv, welcome to Work Savvy. Hello, Karen. Hello, Maddie. Great to see you both. Thanks for coming. No worries. <laughs> Thanks for having me. So let's start by talking about, you know, what is a, a mindful organisation? I think, you know, the reason I wanted to kick off with this topic is it's something we hear a lot about and um, I think for a lot of people it can sound almost spiritual that, you know, makes them think that they need to start getting everyone to meditate in the office. Um, so I thought, you know, let's start by having just a really um, practical conversation around what it actually looks like. So, yeah, and yeah. let's debunk some of those myths, hey? Exactly. Make it really accessible. So I think um, a good place for us to start would be really looking at what is mindfulness, and I do think within the workplace there's still a little bit of confusion about what mindfulness actually is. And while, yes, it's related to meditation, it's quite different from meditation. So just for, for you guys and for your listeners, mindfulness is the capacity that we all have innately for us to be aware of what is going on both within us, so within our mind, our body and our hearts, and outside of us, so in the external world. And then the gift that mindfulness gives us is the capacity to respond to this information with wisdom and kindness. Yeah. And so, I'm really curious as you're describing that, you know, what yeah. do you think is, if there is a distinction, what's the distinction between being mindful and self-aware? Hmm. They are closely related. I think, I guess self-awareness is the very first step of mindfulness. Yeah. But where mindfulness, the richness and the, um, I guess, the beauty and the reason I fell in love with mindfulness is that it's not just awareness, it's awareness in a particular way. Mm. So we complement this clear seeing attention, this capacity to be aware of what is going on within us and around us with a heavy dose of kindness, mm. a heavy dose of non-judgment and acceptance. So, you know, I think often within the corporate space, and I obviously work across organisations, I also work with individuals and schools, but often within the workplace, what I have experienced over the last 10 years of doing this work is that organisations bring people like me in to fix something. Mm. What I now know with mindfulness is that it's actually not about fixing us, it's not about fixing the organisation, it's about allowing us to be who we are, allowing mm. the organisation to be who they are. And with that, we are likely to get a much greater degree of job satisfaction and therefore mm. engagement mm. and therefore performance. Yeah, and so, you know, I think it's a really important distinction that that we don't, you know, we don't just think, well, let's do, we'll do mindfulness and that's um, going to make people be more productive and they're going to work harder. And that that particular stream of um, that mindfulness has gone down in some elements has been termed McMindfulness. <laughs> yeah, it's this fast kind of churn. Let's, we'll get all our people meditating, therefore they'll be able to work longer and harder. What we need to be really what are the fries with that. I'm so surprised. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're making me hungry. The shakes. <laughs> yeah, it's a really interesting phenomenon, and it's been easy for many of us to slip into that because yeah. um, it's it's seductive, right? It's you know because yeah. mindfulness does offer us so many proven benefits. It's not yeah. just about getting to know ourselves and then possibly getting to like ourselves. It is about increasing our productivity because it does make us more able to manage our attention more effectively. 
Yeah. It does um it does make us or allow us to connect more authentically with our colleagues and our clients. So therefore yeah. build deeper and more meaningful relationships. Yeah. Uh, so it, you know the temptation very much is there to to fix our people. Yeah. But the, what I know from my experience and f- through working in this space is that mindfulness gives us whatever we actually deeply need. Mm. And so it, you know, it can. One of the the amazing things that mindfulness gives us is a real clarity around what is the most important thing around our values. And so, you know, and I've had this conversation with my clients over the years. One of the risks of bringing mindfulness within to the organisation is that your people might wake up and go, "Hmm, I'm not sure I actually want to be here anymore." Yeah. And so then the onus is on the organisation for, for an organisation to be mindful there needs to be that degree of compassion and connection and awareness of the place they are or the part they play in the broader society. Yeah, yeah. So it's not just about awareness. It is very much complemented with this awareness of the very fact that we're all connected down to the cells in our body and then how can we respond wisely and kindly as as part of this of this global community. Yeah. And if I can just put that in super practical terms, right, you know, what I'm hearing you talk about there, that whole fear that if we suddenly help people to be mindful and they want to move on, you know, as an HR director, my view of that is that's a good thing to know. Correct. You know, because there are so many people sitting in our organisations who are just surviving their work life, you know, they're just going through every day, going through the motions, they're not digging deep, they're not bringing their heart and soul to their work, you know, they're not passionate about what they're doing. So if they can get really clear on who their best self is and where they truly belong and they discover that's not in your business, yeah. awesome. That's awesome. worth them to help them to, to move on because yeah. the harsh reality is they're not the best person for our team anyway. Exactly. And then we're faced with all of the challenges around presenteeism. You know, never mind right. absenteeism, but we have these people who are sitting at desks and they're there physically, but they're not yeah. there mentally. So we're yeah. not, you know, they, as you say, they're not filled up, they're not satisfied, but we're, we as an employer are also not getting the most out of this, the potential that could be within this person. Yeah, that's right. I've got a funny story about yep. um, that presenteeism, right? So oh, many years ago I walked into my boss's office and he's just sitting there and um, he's literally just sitting there. And it just seemed odd to me. I said to him, what are you doing? He said, I'm, I'm having a day off at work. <laughs> okay. I was telling you. Now this is somebody who had an incredible work ethic. You know, I have enormous respect um, great, great professional, great performer, highly successful person, but just honestly acknowledging that today just wasn't his day. <laughs> he just was struggling to connect. Now, he's still physically in the office, mm-hmm. he's present. Mm-hmm. But, you know, again, was he bringing his full focus and attention and drive? No. Now, for the record, I think that's actually fine sometimes. Correct. We're not robots. No. No, no, no. Did you know, Karen, you probably already know this, but did you know that eight-hour work week, work day was originally developed because that's the amount of times the original machines worked for in factories? Wow. <laughs> I, I did not know this, Liv. That is gold. Isn't that gold? You know, so we, we have structured our entire work life 
on as as part of the industrial revolution where we started to be able to you know manufacture things and these particular machines only lasted for eight hours and then they had to be reset or filled with petrol or whatever and yet now as humans we're trying to work as machines it's and it's just I don't think it's sustainable it's entirely not um you know I have a passionate view that we are better off working in sprints rather than marathons. And mm-hmm. I don't think any of us is capable of actually focusing for eight hours a day and being productive eight hours a day. Mm-hmm. And that's been a big conversation I've been having with people through the COVID scenario and the work-from-home scenario. You know, the first thing I said to leaders is you if you think people are coming into your office and being productive for eight hours, you're kidding yourselves, or seven and a half hours or whatever the hours are, you're, you're kidding yourself. They're not. There are so many hours during those days where people literally are just surviving, just going totally. through. Going and through. wouldn't it be better if we had, or, you know, better has got a lot of judgment in the word better, What it, wouldn't it be perhaps more nourishing and satisfying for us and for the world if we could help people manage their attention so they know what they're doing when they're doing it rather than that, that constant slip into autopilot or mindlessness where we, so many of us end up, you know, I've cited this research before with you guys that uh, 47% of the time our mind and the body, our body are disconnected. That's what a study out of Harvard around 10 years ago found. And that was really the science behind the, um, what really kicked off mindfulness within the workplace. Yeah. That we just realise that crumbs, half the time our people are not actually paying attention to what's happening. And that's not only not paying attention to their emails and their, um, you know, their conversations and their phone calls and their reports, but it's not paying attention to the information within their bodies. So they're missing out on intuition, they're missing out on creativity, they're missing out on values alignment, you know, all of this capacity that we have. We ju- we, as far as I'm concerned, and maybe I'm a bit biased, Mindfulness as a skill has to come before every other skill. So we can teach our people to be, um, you know, great negotiators or wonderful salespeople or teach them how to use Excel spreadsheets. But if we're not first teaching them how to pay attention, both within themselves and with the external world, that information's useless. Yeah, that's so true. I've got a super funny, in my mind, example of this that happened yesterday. Um, To be clear, this is not a workplace example, but um, because I'm working at home at the moment, you know, the the travel from from work to home is pretty brief. (laughs) From the bedroom to the office. (laughs) Exactly is the story, right? So I'm I'm in, I don't know where, I don't know where my head was, right? So I go into my room and it's time to to get changed from my work clothes into my home clothes because it's part of my routine. Anyway, so I went to the drawer, opened the drawer, got out a pair of socks, um, sat on my bed and took off my pants. Yeah. I just cracked up laughing and went, what are you doing? Yeah. I didn't need socks. Secondly, um, I actually needed my pajama pants because yeah, that was the plan. That, that's the home attire. Well, <laughs> I just thought I just—I mean, I'm—I've always been my own case study, and I just thought that was a hilarious example you know of what? the extent to which we can be space cadets. And we have so many examples like that, you know, daily. And my suggestion for your listeners would be to start checking in. Where is my mind right now? You know, how many times a day do we lose our phone or lose our keys? When we put our phone or our keys down, where is our mind? It is not in the present moment. It is usually thinking about the future or thinking about the past. Yeah. 
And yeah. so, and we know that the past's gone, not much we can do about that. We can learn from it, sure. The future's yet to come and yet we spend all of this time and energy on all of our, many of our creative capacities thinking about what's coming next, which then yeah. what's the result of that? Anxiety and stress because yeah. we have all this fear associated with the future. So um, it's a great example, Karen. I mean, and I can share squillions of you of those examples with, with you about my in my life. And certainly that's why I'm so passionate about teaching this stuff because I've seen how it's changed me as yeah. a as a an, you know a business owner as a mother as a partner yeah. you know I, I get to really be present with my husband rather than hi darling how was your day good how was yours no, there's where's the connection in that yeah and then and you're not actually listening right? not listening and then think about that within the workplace for our leaders you know our leaders are so busy these days they've got so much on but if they can't manage their attention and actually be present with their team the team feels that. Totally. Absolutely. You know, and so then the, there goes engagement, there goes trust, there goes, and, and, you know, we know from research from a huge Google study done or, I don't know, it's been done a while because I've known this information for a while, what is the strongest predictor of high-performing teams? It's not their technical skills. It's not their capacity to problem solve. It's psychological safety. Mm. It's their capacity to feel seen, to feel held, not in an inappropriate way, obviously. <laughs> I was going to say we should clarify that yeah, one. Yeah, clarify that. I am talking to an HR director. <laughs> That's right. To feel, to feel safe and to feel trusted. And if we're not paying attention to the, the words and really actively listening, not just hearing, actively listening out what our team's saying, how can we cultivate that psychological safety? Yeah. And that's where I, right now in my mind is, is going is scenes of, you know, how many leaders, for example, will be running a workshop with their team and they've got their mobile phone there and they're Correct. checking in on it and they're, mm -hmm. you know, it's just not possible no. to be fully present in the moment, to be demonstrating to your team that this moment matters, that this conversation matters if your mind is literally in two or three different places. Yeah. Uh, you and know, multitasking is an illusion. Our brain actually can't do it. No, we can't. No. We, what we do is we, we rapidly attention switch. So we, we switch our attention between different tasks and they say the average time it takes us to refocus our attention is around 23 seconds mm. and we, we move our attention around hundreds of times a day. Mm. So we end up losing a fair bit of time simply trying to re-attend re to what's happening before us. You know, one of my rules when I um, – when I run workshops is I, it's phones away, phones off on aeroplane yeah. mode. You know, yeah. we need to practice this stuff here and now. Absolutely. And it's, you know, sometimes I get some, some greasy looks, but by the end of the presentation, people really understand that actually, and, and we're so conditioned to leave the moment. We're so conditioned when shame comes up or anger comes up or fear comes up. What do we, what do we reach for? We reach for our phone and we start scrolling. We don't yeah. even know what we're scrolling for, but all, what we're trying to do is leave that unpleasant emotion. Yeah, because it's yeah. just too hard. Yeah, and yet there's so much wisdom in our emotions. You know, yeah. they're data points. Yeah, <clears throat> couldn't agree more. You know, and I think if we put it again into some practical examples for for people who are listening, you know, why does this actually matter from a performance perspective? Well, again, in my um, experience as an individual, you know, that awareness of what contribution am I actually making? What impact am I having? What relationships am I building? 
you know, all of that has a profound influence on ultimately what we're able to achieve in that job and in our careers more broadly. And then for leaders, you know, again, as you said, if we're not present, what are we telling our people about what matters to us? Um, to what extent are we actually observing what we need to? So this is something I see play out all the time where leaders are sincerely blindsided by or feel blindsided by people's emotions and people's pushback or, you know, an event will go down and they're genuine, like, where did that come from? And it's been in all of the little moments yeah. that they, they could have actually seen these things if they were present, if they actually tuned into even people's body language, you know, their emotional responses that are typically pretty visible on the surface, you know, Absolutely. on the body language. When we, when we actually tune into some of those signals, then we can go and proactively ask some questions. Mm -hmm. Are you okay? Curious. Um, I noticed a shift in, in you during that meeting. Did something happen that, you know, we should talk about? Whatever it is. I remember when, many years ago, again, when I was working at Vanguard, I went up to a, a team member's desk and I said, do you want to have a chat with me? And they said, what are you, a witch? <laughs> <laughs> No, just observant. <laughs> um, because again, it was evident to me that that person um, was sad. I could see it, I could feel it, and it was influencing the way that they were reacting, the way they were communicating. So, of course, we did go and have the chat and we were able to sort of unpack what was going on for them. Um, and it was a really powerful conversation because then we could actually start to shift reality. And actually help that person to work through whatever it is that they were feeling. And funnily enough, in that particular example, um, the individual wasn't feeling hurt. They didn't feel like their boss was actually paying attention mm -hmm. to their needs or their contribution or whatever it was. So, yeah. again, I've seen this thousands and thousands oh, of times. Same. And, and, and we've experienced it, right, where we've missed the cues. And it's mm. like, well, where did that come from? And so well, right. we weren't paying attention. We were too That's busy right. thinking about the future, thinking about the past, heading our phone. And, you know, I want to really drive home that for your listeners, mindfulness doesn't have to be just another thing on our to-do list. It's something that we weave into every moment. Yeah. So, um, you know, there are two kind of ways we can develop this skill or remember this skill because it is an, is an innate skill. We all have it. We're all born with it. Yeah. When we were kids, we were playing with that train and that's all we were playing with. We weren't thinking about what we were going to have for lunch or breakfast. It wasn't yeah. until we got hungry that we thought about it. That's right. So we have this capacity already within us. And so um, the two ways we can develop it really practically, the first one is meditation. So that is the formal brain training. If we want to learn anything, we need to practice it over and over again. And the same goes for managing our attention. Mm. And so we choose an anchor to focus on and that might be the body. It might be the breath. It might be our senses. They're all great access points to the present moment. And we let our attention rest there over and over again. And our mind will wander and it become, we bring it back. It'll wander, we bring it back. And through that process, we're doing bicep curls for our brain. We know that the grey matter in the prefrontal cortex actually gets more dense. So that's the part of our brain that is responsible for being what makes us human. It's yeah. where we where our creativity sits, attention management, compassion, you know, capacity to problem solve. It's the higher level thinking. And so we are building that muscle through the formal practice of meditation. We don't sit down to meditate to become good at meditation. 
Mm. We sit down to meditate to become better at life and to be able to to manage the things that come at us in our life and within us. Yeah. So that's the first way we develop it. And, yes, that does require additional time, but I guarantee your listeners if they started with five minutes a day, they would start they, and built up to maybe 10 minutes a day of, of just a formal sitting practice, they would start to see the benefits and they would start to realise that the time they save in mind-wandering and worrying and disconnecting pays, it pays back that 10 minutes a thousand times over every day. Absolutely agree with so you. That's the first way. And then the second way is just infusing mindfulness within every moment. So, you know, during a conversation with your team, and it was interesting as I was thinking about what I was going to say next in this exact podcast, Mm. I was not listening to what you were saying. And the irony of all of that was I was thinking about active listening. And and I was thinking I want to tell her all about a practice that I give people where they focus their attention on what the person's saying rather than what they're going to say next. But I was planning on what I was going to say (laughs) in that context. But I have to say it is a really super cool um, practice where in much the same way as our meditation practice where we might choose the body or the breath or our senses to anchor, we can choose the other person to anchor our attention on. Yeah. So most of us listen to respond rather than listening to understand. Yeah. And so can we let that person in front of us be our anchor to the present moment and just you know, and there's a lot of fear with this. I know I've sat with a lot of people in, in workshops as I've run these practices, but can we actually just pay attention and be really open and available? And, oh, my gosh, you get you get so much more said. Things are much more efficient. There's no misunderstanding. There's less misunderstandings. Yeah. So mindfulness can be infused across all of our moments. You know, yeah. it doesn't just need to be sitting on a cushion and watching our breath. While I, I think that's a gift that we can we deserve to give ourselves every day um, if that's not your thing. Weave it into when you're making a cup of tea. Be present with that. Notice where your mind goes. Use that awareness to inform your your insight into your psychological habits. Oh, gosh, I'm, I'm blaming a lot. That's interesting. Do I blame a lot? You know, we, we, we just it's building knowledge so we can manage our life and ourselves more effectively. I've heard that advice in a different context around, you know, even when we're eating food. Mm-hmm. You know, often we will just shovel it down. It's just a process rather than actually taste the food, mm-hmm. chew it, yep. focus on the food, focus on cutting it up, you know, actually fully be present for that meal. Yeah. Um, you know, again, there's, there's so many examples where we're just not. We're yeah. just at a pilot. And, Karen, I always say to people, mindfulness is not complicated but it's not easy. Because, no. you know, it's incredibly simple. It's a really simple concept. Yeah. But the practice of it takes discipline and it yeah. takes some courage. Yeah. And, you know, in, um, in one of the kind of seminal mindfulness courses, it's called the MBSR, Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction. It's an eight-week intensive course. And um, the first task we do in that course is we eat a sultana. And that's <laughs> it. We bring attention to the sultana. What are you doing, my sultanas? I like, know. Oh, well, no. sometimes I have to, you know, bring in chocolate or strawberry. Fussy <laughs> yeah, people. Yeah, exactly. And you know, there's a whole area of research looking at um, helping individuals with eating disorder disorders or disordered eating to practice mindfulness. And how is that changing their um, their psychological eating? Yeah. Yeah. So it's a, look, I just. 
I would love for the world to be, I would have loved to have known about this as a much younger woman. Would have saved me a lot of time and heartache, I'm sure. I probably wouldn't be quite as wise as I am now, though. Yeah. Um, but I wish, I, my wish for the world is that mindfulness just becomes part of the way we are. And, you know, it's, it is growing in the workplace, which is super exciting. Absolutely. And where you've taken me all the way back to is earlier in the conversation around, you know, we're, we're not machines. We can't work for eight hours a, a day. So, again, in terms of our goals around mindfulness, let's be reasonable with ourselves as well. Absolutely. You know, like we're, we're very unlikely to be able to be present in every single moment all of the time. Right. The more of the moments we can be present for, the more likely we can proactively and deliberately influence our reality and, and drive our impact. Yeah. But that's been a, a great um, conversation around mindfulness. I'm sure you and I, um, poor old Maddie, hasn't been able to get a word in. Oh, sorry, Maddie. <laughs> that's great. I'm just taking it all in. It's great. <laughs> well, there's, you know, there's for, for your listeners, just as far as resources go, you can, they could go to my website. I've got lots of great books and a couple of meditations um, and, um, you know, links to wonderful YouTube videos and everything. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah we'll definitely encourage everybody to do that. And um, obviously we'll make sure those um, details are available with the, the post as well. So we can make it super easy 